This is the I Read Comic Books podcast, the very best comic book podcast for regular comic book fans. I am your host, Mike Rappin, and joining me this week, a hologram come to life and a time-traveling super friend. I'm joined by Kate Lamphere. I'm the hologram. <laughs> and Bijan Aga. <laughs> I'm the super friend. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you both so much for joining me this week. I'm super excited to talk about comic books. Before we get into things, though... I do have one more quick reminder announcement. IRCB is going to Emerald City Comic Con in 2024. It's going to be super cool. Me and Kate and Paul and maybe a couple of other people we're going to see are going to be at Emerald City. We're going to hang out with folks. So if you're going to go, let us know. Make sure to jump on Discord so we can start coordinating stuff once March gets closer and closer. I'm really excited to be there. It's like a first, the first real big con that I've been to since everything shut down in 2020. So it's going to be a blast. Paul and Kate and I are going to have a fun time. And whoever else shows up, I'm sure you're going to have a good time too. Um, but before we get into things, I guess we have a special guest this week. Bijan, you're back here to, here to talk to talk about comic books with us. Before you were here to talk about your Kickstarter that was successful. I guess, could you tell the folks at home a little bit about yourself and what you've been up to? And then we're going to talk about comic books because I'm really curious <laughs> to know what you've been reading since the last time we talked. Yeah, so uh, like you said, um, our comic book, Cobra Olympus, The Battle of the Blood Golem, got funded. So now it's available on Amazon. And we've been working on some other projects down the line, including a new Kickstarter for a board game and uh, a manga. So uh, we've got this uh, our Jamsheed Studios. We've got a Patreon and we're doing a lot of cool stuff. So, um, yeah, later on, I'll show you share more details. Awesome. Awesome. I'm I'm super excited to see what you guys have going on because Cobra Olympus was a lot of fun. I um. I yeah, but we'll get into it a little bit later. Instead, let's let's talk about the thing that we're here to talk about, which is comic books. So I've got to ask my two legally mandated questions, which is how have you been? How have comic books been? Kate, I'm going to kick it over to you real quick. Yeah, I've been pretty good. I feel like there's a lot happening, at least in my life for comic books. For example, um, Brian gave me his old iPad. So I have a slightly Ooh. larger tablet now with which to read digital comics. Um, and I noticed that Hoopla has a whole bunch of November uh, bonus borrows, which means that if you have Hoopla through your library, you can get into this collection and you can read everything in there without using any of your borrows for the month, which means that you get oh nice all of these books plus plus your limit from your library. So I've been reading a lot of digital books. I do still have some physical books out from the library from like three months ago. And I've really been reading you them. of all people. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll try to get around to that <laughs> library. Please <laughs> don't be mad. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so I uh, most recently read Kaya volume two. This is by Wes Craig. Um, if you have been listening to the, the podcast for a little while, Kara and I did a mini-sode on this back on volume one back in July. Um, and that was a lot of fun. Um, we talked about that and we compared it with another book and I came out a big fan of the other book that we talked about, but I'm also a big fan of Kaya and I definitely wanted to read volume two. Um, this book is set in a world where robots have mostly wiped out humans. There are lizard people and there are also mutant people. And there are civil wars just everywhere. Everything is very tense. Um, and we follow Kaya, who is a girl with a metal arm, trying to protect her younger half-brother, Jin, who was raised with the understanding that he's the golden one and will save humanity. And basically, Volume 1 was a good time with the, with the journey. It was very fantastical. You met a lot of interesting characters, but it left me with a whole lot of questions. Um, and okay. I feel like Volume 2 did do a pretty good job 
of answering a lot of those questions. Like we get we get mm-hmm. we get to spend more time with the the hot lizard love interest Seth, which was very important to me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I forgot there was a lot of uh, lustiness for yes. this lizard man. I forgot. <laughs> um, and we get we do get um, the answer about Kaya's metal arm. Um, I really appreciated the time that was spent on that after all of my questions from volume one. Um, and we mm-hmm. also get um, we get some answers about Jen's um, the story that Jen is the golden one. We actually um, I feel like volume two is like from Jen's perspective, whereas volume one was from Kaya's perspective. So like this was a really interesting switch because in volume one, like Jen is the little brother that Kaya has to protect. And that that's it. Like that is the core of the story. Um, and sure. in volume two, Jen is like exploring um, his own thoughts about this this story that he's been raised with, and then we get to see a little bit of like how much of it is true, um, and and the story kind of gets into that. And so I I really liked that shift in perspective. Um, and then I feel like I need to to credit the artist with um, with how well they managed all of the different elements of this story because you have all of those different races of people that I mentioned. You've got different architecture for their mm-hmm. cultures. You've got all of these environments that the characters move through in the story, and it's just all handled so well. Um, everything like maintains this kind of fantastical look to it, including the character design for the humans. And then mm-hmm, also mm-hmm. It, like, but, but it all stays unique. Like you're never like, which character was this? I kind of had that a little bit in volume one. There was two characters I kept getting confused, but that, that wasn't a problem in this volume. So yeah, I think it was just really a well done sequel. Um, and, and the story isn't over. Like, there is a page in the rear matter that says um, volume three will be um, back in uh, spring of next year. So I am looking nice. forward to more of this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Wes Craig's art is always impressive. I feel like now that there's two volumes of this series out, I probably should go back and read it. And I told myself I was going to trade weight volume one and then I never got around to yeah. reading volume one. And so now that there's two volumes out, I feel like this is the poke that I need to actually go and dig into this because I I really love Wes Craig's work. Um, but I feel like the first issue of Kaya really didn't grab me, but you and Kara really sold how awesome this book seems. So like, I probably just need to dig into it. Yeah. I, I had read issue one a while mm-hmm. before I read volume one and I, and I didn't like, it wasn't something that I was like, Oh, I have to read volume two. But once it was out in, in trade and Kara was like, Hey, we need to read this book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I really yeah. enjoyed it. Like I really enjoyed sitting down and reading the entire first arc at once mm-hmm. and then and then of course the second art so well hey um so s- since you said that there were two characters you couldn't tell apart in the first volume but that you didn't have that problem in the second volume i was wondering if there are any other ways that you noticed that the art sort of developed or grew over time um so mostly th- one of those characters just isn't in the second volume <laughs> <laughs> That's an easy way um, to solve that. <laughs> but I did. I feel like um, they actually did transform the remaining character at the end of volume one. You see that as part of the story. Like he he goes through a physical change. So even mm. like, I don't know, his like his character was design was a little bit different. And it was it was good. Like he definitely was a more in comparison to the other lizard people who were around, which were not as many, which is also part of the reason that it was easier. Um I yeah I feel like he was much more noticeable on the page gotcha awesome gotcha cool well um 
I like I said, this this is just the poke that I needed. I, I guess like Bijan, how have you been? How have comic books been? What have you been reading? Oh yeah. So um anyone who knows me as I'm I'm big into retro comics. Um uh, there's lots of modern comics that I love, uh, but uh the vast bulk of my of my reading is stuff published before the nineteen nineties. Um so I got this beautiful, gorgeous reprint of marvel's muppet babies uh they only did one volume so and this is the the 27 2017 reprint it's a hardback and it collects the entire series uh plus the muppets take manhattan as a bonus in the back this is a super unusual series because well first of all most comics the vast majority of comics printed are science fiction or fantasy and usually superhero so there was an era when um you know comedy comics were top of the charts and this sort mm-hmm. of was retro even for its time in being a comedy comic in the mid-1980s. And so, first of all, the mid-1980s, phenomenal period of time for line work. I mean, that's one of the things that I, I love is, is solid, beautiful line work. And in the 1980s, they had developed printing methods that were now so refined that you could get these really thin, beautiful lines on the page. Whereas in the past, the the printing methods were sort of robust and required big thick lines and i I really love both but the the 1980s just oh the the line work is so beautiful Mm -hmm. and so they had a very unusual way of making this comic uh for comics but it was super common for um sitcoms which is the writing room method and so um in comics you usually have one author and one illustrator working together on a series in sequential order because it's a drama. It's it's taking place over a period of time. It's each story is adding to the last. But this was written in a um, in a uh, uh, the the writing room method. So what we have is we have a bunch of artists and a bunch of uh, writers coming together and fleshing out ideas for individual comics, and then taking those ideas and pairing off basically into writers and 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 illustrators. Although sometimes more than one author would work on on the script. And then they would mm-hmm. sit down and, and actually flesh out the individual comic um, on its own. So uh, on all these different issues, you have these different um, writing techniques and these different humor styles and these different illustrating techniques. But it's all brought together by a singular vision, which is from um, Tom DeFalco, who most people know for his superhero comics. But he actually got his start in Archie Comics. Interesting. And so he started off in in the Funny Papers. Mm-hmm. And so um, they they did this really interesting thing um, in the TV show that that's based off of. They would have um, clips from uh, live action like movies or documentaries and stuff, and they'd just uh, mix them in with what the Muppet Babies were doing. Like you know, they'd open the door and then a bunch of Tie Fighters would fly by, and then they close the door real fast. Like oh god, there's there's tie fighters in the closet. Um, and so instead of doing that, obviously, they couldn't just, you know, take clips and photos and stuff and put them in that. What they would do is they would make re- do, do two things. One is they'd take really, really, really different art styles and jam them in with the Muppet Babies. So, for example, the the yes, yeah, so <laughs> the first the first issue is making fun of like a horror comic. And so it's like a parody of a horror comic. It's not really frightening, uh-huh. but it's got all the, the the spooky stuff in it. And so you've got these Muppet babies drawn with big, you know, thick lines and open spaces on uh, on you know the big block colors. And then the monsters and the creepy stuff are pre- are drawn in these really really th- fine lines with hash hashing hashing uh, um, for shading. 
and mm-hmm. they're you know really hyper detailed and so you can see that the monsters stand out against the the super simplified um art style of the the muppet babies uh and then another thing they did is they it's constant pop culture references in uh the second issue they're flying around on a rocket ship and everybody's in sort of uh star star trek uniforms but with the the diamond shape turned upside down and but <laughs> miss miss piggy is the princess and she's got princess leia buns and so, oh my oh gosh, gosh. So that's amazing. Yeah. What? So it's it's everything I love in a comic, which is brisk pace. You know, a story told in a single issue. Uh, it's got you know just funny and really imaginative. I mean, it almost has like you know people say things have like a dreamlike quality. This has a fever dreamlike quality, while at the same time, every decision is also a very intentional like parody of something that that exists in life. It's satire. Uh, of people's preconceptions of, of mm-hmm. uh, you know, simplistic ways of looking at things, you know, especially just by saying having a baby say, well, I see the world this way kind of implies that that's a baby's way of seeing the world. Right, right. So um, uh, the, the last thing I wanted to touch on is that it's this very interesting thing in that there's a super meta thing going on. It's a comic book drawn to look like a cartoon that is drawn to look like puppets so right there's this right. very meta thing going on. I, I specifically bookmarked there is page 34 uh page 34 the last frame on the the print the 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 trade paper the trade hardcover it's got kermit the frog frowning and you can absolutely see the little curves on the sides of his mouth where the hard uh-huh. fe- the hard tissue is keeping its form and the felt is morphing around it <laughs> When when they make him make his little sad face, right, 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 right. Like so, there's a hand inside exactly, this puppet that's, exactly. that's scrunching up. And so they translated this meta art of comic imitating cartoon imitating puppets. It's it's perfect. Uh-huh. The art style is perfect. So so that's what I've been reading. Gotcha. That's I had no idea that this existed. And Nick Nick managed to find the link to like a Marvel fandom where this is. And just looking at the cover of this, I'm like, oh my gosh. One, this brings back like a weird set of childhood memories where I used to watch this show very regularly. <laughs> and two, like I never considered like the level of meta-ness that's happening with this of an animated show of puppet characters. But then in a comic book form, this is like three layers deep of like <laughs> very absurd like presentation of these characters. I, I love that so much. It's so much fun. Well, let me let me talk about a book really quick uh, that I read and I read Monica by Daniel Klaus. Um, this is a very new book from Daniel or from Klaus that basically is a fictional story about a woman's life from before she was born, very slightly before she was born to the day she dies, question mark. Like you do, it's kind of it's kind of hard to uh, interpret the end with with that um, in mind. But Paul really, really loved this book. Paul is a regular on the show. Um, so I had to pick this up and I happened to be at Forbidden Planet when Kate and Brian were here. So I grabbed a copy of this and I finally sat down to read it. And yeah, this like I said, this book kind of follows this fictional character named Monica um, and significant moments in her life. It's like kind of a story where like if you asked for more explanation of all of the things going on in it, you'd almost be kind of bummed because 
life is very mundane. So the the highlighted moments in this book of, of Monica's life are like the most interesting pieces of her life. And she even notes on that in the narration. So it's kind of like a, a very weird meta story of her life where she knows that something strange is going on. So a lot of odd things like religious cults and strange happenings with with past uh, with past lives and maybe some who knows like supernatural things going on. You're not really entirely sure because she's not entirely sure. Um, but yeah, Klaus takes you on this really bizarre journey as Monica's terribly too real life spiral spirals from childhood to adulthood, kind of knocking against some truly odd, but almost real moments where like we've all experienced weird things and coincidental things. And maybe you don't think about them too much, or maybe you think about them too much. And I really liked I really like the way that Klaus took this idea and turned it into like someone kind of just telling their story of their life and all the odd things that happened to them that they could remember. And Monica frequently goes, I think this is how this happened. But my memory, I'm piecing together from when I was a little kid and what other people have told me. It's like this. It's this really interesting thing that I feel like almost like it's like a documentary that ends in such a bizarre way. I like almost was expecting some exclamation of this is why everything that I'm telling you is is important, because this is a fictional comic book that somehow should tie up in an interesting way. And the final pages of this book slapped me in the face. I was so blown away by just the strange way that this entire book ended. And it, it is very eerie. It's very like kind of gives you chills in the in the last couple of pages. But the thing that really struck me about this book was there are some panels and pages of like really just incredible narrative, like, I don't know, like it, it, impactfulness that I felt like some of the stuff that Monica says as she's describing and relating all of these strange things that happen in her life um, are like, if you pull this out of context, like this is an incredible life lesson that only someone who's lived many, many years on this world could really understand. And the way that he conveys it through Monica in relation to what's happening in the story is fantastic. But like, I don't know, I really felt like there was some profoundness in a lot of this book through Monica's narration in reflection on her life that I thought was really good. So yeah, I don't know, this is a big book. It's really wild. It's in this style that is definitively Daniel Klaus, but very much feels like a style that I would only ever relate to Fantagraphics books at this point that feels very like 50s and 60s, like high detail, very like intricate line work um, with like a very flat color palette. And yeah, I don't know. This book is just fantastic. It's a really good read. And I tore through it um, in like one sitting just because I couldn't not find out what happened next to this character because every chapter of this book is so bizarre. And you're like, how does this book keep going? Monica keeps getting older. I need to see how her life finishes. Like it's, it's I don't know, it's such a great read. So if you get a chance to grab this, I highly recommend it. It's a little pricey. Like I said, um, it's a very big book, but it's totally worth the space on your shelf if you can get this because it's, it's a fantastic monster of a comic book. And I really, really liked it. So I don't know. I feel like you could say that about a lot of Klaus's work, but this one feels like the most surreal to me, which is maybe saying something. Well, I uh, I always ask this is my 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 favorite question to ask about any comic book that I can't see in front of me, which is how do you feel the artwork contributes to the themes of the narrative? I think like Klaus's ability to portray real life in the in his specific cartooning style has a an almost like surreal feeling to it in the first place, because his artwork is not the same style of like your traditional like Marvel and DC comic book creator, right? Like there's not a lot of like action and, and 
I, I hate to use this word like kineticism in the way that he draws. So you feel almost this Twin Peaksy vibe the entire time because everything is so just like flat and static. Um, and so when the stranger moments of this book happen, seeing his art trying to depict these like more action oriented or more like surreal things um, that are, go beyond just the realisticness of life, it really kind of puts you out of your mind. It doesn't take you out of the book, but it puts you in like a different headspace than where you were a couple pages previous, where you're just dealing with like a young woman laying on a bed, listening to music. And then all of a sudden, something very strange happens. And I'm trying not to spoil the book. Um <laughs> It like you really start to think about all of the previous pages that you've read and you're like, was there something stranger in this page that I didn't see before? Um, so I don't know if that answers the question, oh, but like yeah. I feel like his his art style really, really nails real life very well. And so when things get strange, oh, boy, they get real strange real fast. It's it's really good. Yeah, that, that reminds me of yeah, I'm from the Pacific Northwest. I'm Seattle specifically, mm -hmm. but West Seattle more specifically. And I there's okay. this very similar thing you're talking about Twin Peaks and um, and also to a degree anything like um, uh, Napoleon Dynamite where there's this strange stillness right it's a very mm -hmm. Pacific Northwest uh, mark I, I feel and that something that we've exported uh, successfully as sort of a, a cultural product. <laughs> Um, yeah. if, if you, if you ever get a chance to read some, some old zines, especially the eighties black and white Xerox zines from the, the Pacific Northwest, you're going to see a lot of mm -hmm. those like long, steady, big shots of like still locations and that really intense pseudo reality, you know, the illusion of reality. Like you, you blur your eyes and you might think it's a, a photorealistic picture. Then when you actually look at it, it's pretty block you know colors and block uh or in the xerox ones you know just black lines and and so it's um yeah mm -hmm. i feel like that's that's something i recognize as a as a northwesterner yeah no i i think this is the exact kind of field that klaus's work depicts in a lot of cases um so yeah maybe you like this book i think yeah, you might absolutely. take this if you can get your hands on it um but uh kate i guess let's pop back over to you what's one other book you've read real quick yeah, I actually read um, an entire series, but it's very short. So, <laughs> okay, okay. Um, this is Weathering with You. It's a manga um, by Makoto Shinkai, adapted by Wataru Kubota. And I say adapted because this is based on the movie before it was a comic. Um, the okay. movie got a lot of attention. It was very beautiful um, animation. And this uh, this is a three volume manga adaptation. And really quick, I wanted to say, um, if you follow us on social media every week, we put out like this prompt question that we hope that people respond to. Um, mm -hmm. And this week's question was, what was your favorite comic adapted from a movie game, etc. And I didn't mm -hmm. mean to follow the prompt with my reading. It just happened that way. <laughs> um, yeah. It worked out yeah. very nicely. So I read this. Yeah, don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram, TikTok. That's where we're posting all this yep. stuff at, at IRCB Podcast. I, I got to get a plug. In. We got to get a plug. <laughs> and respond to the prompts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, please, please respond to our posts, please. <laughs> um, so I read this Weathering With You on the K-Manga app. That's Kadansha's um, like proprietary app for reading, um, reading their yeah. content. I've talked about that before. Um, so this this story is about um, a young boy, uh, Hodaka, who runs away from home, ends up in Tokyo, and Tokyo has been beset by just endless rain. Like, it's a huge problem. And he meets this mm -hmm. girl, Hina, who can make the rain stop for a few hours. She's called the Sunshine Girl. Like, she's like a myth almost in the city. 
And the story just explores like where her powers come from, the cost of using her powers. Um, and then it is kind of a coming of age story. So you also follow this boy's growth from kind of like this directionless homeless kid to somebody who like has a purpose and knows what he wants to do and mm-hmm. has people that he cares about. The art in this in this series was just as beautiful as the art in the animation. And I'm so glad that they took um, the time and spent the money to find an equally talented artist when they turned this into mm-hmm. a manga because it was just as beautiful of an experience as watching the movie. Um, but the story itself is a little bit dark. So if you're, if like, I think that some of my reviews and Goodreads for like the first volume was like, this is so wholesome and whimsical. It's it's a little dark oh. over time. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's got strong themes of grief. That's a, that's a big theme throughout the later volumes. And there's like a number of adults in the story who kind of brand these kids as criminals because, I mean, like they don't have like any money um, and mm-hmm. they can, they can do kind of get themselves in trouble, but like they just need some help. And all of the, the adults in this are most of the adults in this story. Like they come off, real mean and i'm just like just leave the kids alone they're figuring it out mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> <laughs> um overall the story was pretty well paced and and all of the like the the volume three kind of felt like the climax like it it felt like it kind of happened all at once but maybe it was me going like i have to finish this book because it's so good <laughs> um so just like if you're on the k-manga app all of those later chapters are are that you have to spend points on them instead of tickets. It's the whole K-Manga app thing. Um, just be prepared with your points to unlock the rest right. of the chapters. Don't, sure. <laughs> you're not going to want to like be two chapters short or something um, and then put, have to put it down. Um, yeah, I mean, for those of you curious, there is an episode yeah. in our backlog about how all of these systems work. So make sure to go listen to that because Kate and the gang give a really good breakdown about all the different manga apps and how to use them. So yeah. um, we have the information out there. This was also at my library and I just chose to not um, put it on hold or something like I just found it on the app and and read it that way so maybe your library would have it as well Um, the end of the story does get like kind of metaphysical and I didn't like follow everything super well but I just kind of like put aside you know like suspended disbelief and I'm like I'm just going to enjoy this and yeah Mm -hmm. I did Uh, I definitely recommend this book Okay. How, how long is this series again? It's just, it's three volumes, which, I mean, okay. if you're a manga reader, it, it really is it's not nothing. a lot of reading. That's nothing. Yeah. Right. So I'm, I'm curious, <laughs> do, you, do you read the comics left to right or right to left? The manga does read right to left now. Um, there, there are some uh, old translations yeah. from the 90s where they tried to switch them. And you can, you, I think that you can tell. Um, so I yeah. appreciate that they've stopped doing that. And they just give you a guide for how to read manga in okay. most of, Good. Oh, yeah. most of mm-hmm. the manga that you pick up. Yeah, the, the old copies of Blade of the Immortal um, I bought digitally at one point. And they're all the original Dark Horse translations and conversions so back in i want to say the 90s at some point when they brought blade of the immortal the manga series over to the united states um and dark horse published it the creator of the series was like well i know that your dark horse was too worried that people weren't going to be able to do right to left so they flipped all the pages they inverted them right so that you can read them left to right but the creator of the series was or maybe i think maybe they got involved i can't remember if this was a cure of this is blade of the immortal nick is screaming right now um, (laughs) listening to this 
but because he knows the answer to this, but I just can't remember. But either way, the, the creator of the series, um, I think, got involved and was like, well, if you're going to flip my pages, let me help redraw a bunch of these pages so that they make sense when you're reading them left to right, because some of this stuff just won't right, won't yeah. click the same way. So, yeah, it's a it's a really interesting thing. And of course, we've I think we've gotten a bit away from that as manga has become extremely prevalent in the United States um, or in the Western world, at least. So, um, but yeah, there, there are some books that are still like that that you can buy. Uh, I think I think the original publication of Mob Psycho 100 was also like that. And that's a pretty recent series. So um, I don't know. Come on, Dark Horse, get your stuff together. Uh, that's all I'll say. <laughs> Well, it goes the other way, too, with some other cultures, because uh, I know that uh, in Arab in Arab speaking countries and Persian speaking countries, mm-hmm. um, they do just flip the comics uh, horizontally. Right. Like they'll, they'll take American comics, they'll flip them and then they'll replace the text in the text bubbles and, and, and boxes and things like that. Right. Uh, they don't change sound effects. That's too expensive. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so you just get flipped English language sound effects. And um and now there's like a liter a, a layer of comics literacy involved in being a Persian or Arabic speaking comics fan in that you have to know how to read the comics to make full use of Western conventions. Interesting. So, so there's people who are just like and so there's no there's no market for them flip the correct way and the, the text replaced. Gotcha. The, the market only exists for them flipped and then also the text replaced. So, wow. It's, it's yeah, it goes both ways. Yeah, no, I, I was going to say that's that's a that's a very true point. I Nick Nick just posted the the, the piece of information that I was getting that wrong about this Blade of the Mortal book. So uh, <laughs> let me let me correct myself very quickly. Um from I think this is from Wikipedia to preserve the integrity of his art, uh, Samura, who is the creator of, of Blade of the Immortal, requested the publisher Dark Horse Comics not flip the manga, which is what they did with Akira. So I had it right with Akira. At the time, flipping was an almost universal practice for English translated manga. Instead, Blade of the Immortal was modified for Western readers by the unusual method of cutting up the panels and rearranging them on the page in order to have the action flow from left to right. So like they literally went in and rearranged the book, which is crazy like the amount of work to make that happen and if i'm not mistaken this i'm pretty sure is true uh they the creator samura also came in and redrew some pages to make them work as well which is bonkers um but anyways yeah that's an interesting thing i've never i don't know if i've ever seen a western comic in uh like an arabic script or something like that i I didn't realize that they would do the whole flipping but that makes sense given the the language reads in a different direction so yeah, I, I, more to dig into. Maybe we'll talk about that in the break or whatever. But uh, let me let me talk about one more book uh, before we go into the break. And that is Time Before Time, number 29. This is the series finale, which I had completely wrong. I thought there were two issues left. Turns out there's only one issue left. Uh, what series ends on 29? Come on, <laughs> like my brain just can't comprehend it. Uh, this is the series finale. This is by Rory McConville and Declan Shelby on writing, col- art by Joe Palmer, colors by Chris O'Halloran. And yeah, this is the final issue with the original creative team that started the book, which I was very happy about. I honestly couldn't say there was a better way to end this book, given how the previous arc kind of wrapped itself up with this big question mark of where is this one character? Where is another character? And I'm being so vague because God, you all need to just go read this book. It's like my favorite sci-fi series to come out in the last decade. But yeah, there, there are a handful of kind of question marks that issue 28 left us with in terms of where does everybody end up in time? And I love the way that this book, this final issue kind of beat around 
answering those questions until some of the final pages that I, you know, I think as a longtime reader, I kind of saw coming, but I was very happy that it wasn't just blatantly thrown on the table there. Um, and I like how the final issue really wraps around back into the first issue, because when a series that involves time travel happens, that's kind of a thing that's going to come up. Pieces are going to loop back on each other in some way. But the thing that has been consistent about this book since its debut is that it uses time travel in a way that doesn't try to get into the weeds of sci-fi in order to create a compelling tale of a slightly bleak look at the future, where even with the power of time travel in our hands, people are still just people who simply wish to live a decent life. Like, I think we get this with other stories. I've compared this series to Looper many times. Um, Looper, I think, for better or for worse, also kind of nails the same feeling. And uh, there's another there's another movie that I've seen uh, that has one of the Weasley brothers in it. That's the way I can describe it. Um, and I did not write it down. But time travel, I feel like as a as a thing can either go hard sci fi or it can leave all of that bits uh, off the table and say, we're actually trying to tell a story using time travel as a vessel to communicate what our goal is. And I really love the way that this book just like took the sci fi off the table for the most part, and just said, we need to explain how, despite advancements in the future, whether we go 500 years, 1000 years, 2000 years, still comes back to the idea that people are just people who are trying to survive and live a decent life. People aren't necessarily most people are not trying to live extravagant, crazy lives, even with the power of time travel, they're not trying to manipulate the world to benefit themselves in such a way that it breaks everything. Most people who are using time travel in this world are using it because one, they have no other option and they just want to go back in time or forward in time or something to try to just live a regular life or they're underground mobsters <laughs> <laughs> who are trying to use it to to help those people right because the, the conceit of this series is that there are people who have no other option and they need to escape the current time that they live in and so they pay these underground this underground group called the syndicate to basically take them back in time to like the 1980s from the year 2157 or something I think that's a good example and we see that this consistently over and over in this book it is just a story about people trying to survive and i love that and the final issue of this book knocked me off my seat i was so happy with it yeah i hope everyone goes and reads this thank you nick nick you figured out about time he knew it that's the movie i was looking at um but yeah I, I love this series. I hope that everyone goes and read it, reads it. I know that one of our listeners is finally starting it because I think I've been screaming <laughs> about it for two years since it came out. So I'm really, really excited. And I was very happy that the art on this book ended with Joe Palmer, who was the person that started this series. Um, Time Before Time has changed out artists every once in a while, like Declan Shelby even came in and did like a guest spot a few times um, as the writer and artist. Um, and they had a couple of other artists that worked on this book. And yeah, I don't know. They, they found artists that worked with the vibe the best, but I've loved Joel Palmer's art since this series started, and I was bummed when he wasn't working on the later issues. So I was so glad that he came back to do this final one because his art style, as blocky and strange, I don't know, like modern art it, it, it can be sometimes that can be a little bit jarring for folks, suits this book so well. And seeing him draw all of the characters that were involved in this final issue really just warmed my heart. So... Love Time Before Time. Highly recommend it uh, if you get a chance. It's it's one of the best sci-fi books that have come out in a really long time. Uh, so I've, I've got a question. Now that the please now that the uh, series is over, was there one page or panel that stuck with you more than anything else? Oh man, you put me on the spot here. I think there there is a moment, honestly, in like the first couple of issues. I can't remember which one where we get Tatsuo drawn by Joe Palmer 
being shocked about a revelation that happens. And I don't want to spoil it because it is a big moment in the early part of the book. When we get that revelation and we get his look on his face, the way that Palmer draws everything is very blocky and big. But the way that he draws faces is like like a, a, a Renaissance artist who's like trying to put every intricacy of emotion in someone's face. So it's almost like it's like a it's like a whiplash of like this really blocky kind of non-detailed art mixed with this extremely detailed face um and that will always sit with me of like oh this book is not about time travel it's about people like i keep saying that over and over but that's That's great that's definitely up there for me with that um let's let's take a quick break and uh when we come back we are going to talk about what's on the top for a pile we're going to talk to Bijan a little bit about what's going on on their end of things so um we'll be back in just a second Before we get into the second half of this show, I just want to remind everyone, as we plugged earlier, you can always follow us on the internet, internet, the Instagrams, the TikToks, the discords, Goodreads, YouTubes. I'm an old man now. I can say <laughs> things like that. Uh, <laughs> uh, but as always, I, at IRCB Podcast, or you can check out all of our stuff at ircbpodcast.com. We've got like all the latest merch and info about the podcast. As as well, you can follow us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast. You can follow us for free and get all sorts of updates there, as well as subscribing to the Patreon and get access to hundreds of podcast episodes such as a better batmobile mike and paul read doom patrol uh, book versus book saga of saga giant days of our lives so much more go over there to patreon.com slash ircb podcast to follow us today now let's talk about books that we're excited to read next comics that are on the top of our pile whether they're new or old or something you're just looking to read off of your shelf or from your library let's talk about it i think let's let's kick things over to you Bijan. what is on the top of your pile this week so absolutely, as soon as I'm done with this Muppet Babies collection, mm-hmm. I'm moving on to something that's been gathering dust. Uh, well, not physically uh, in my Comicsology c- account. Uh, okay. So I got I got uh, the Justice League Omnibus Volume One in 2014 when it launched, and I did not get past the first issue because other things were catching my interest. But um, I just recently caught some artwork from it, and I was just I was just so blown away by it's it it was primarily written by Gardner Fox other people helped out here and there and it was eventually taken over by someone else but um Gardner Fox was the genius behind the first you know couple of years of the stories and it's an absolute shame that he is not mentioned as frequently as legends like Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko and Stan Lee even because of his writing capacities so, you know, Gardner Fox was an absolute fundamental figure in how we now view comic books, especially the the tran- the the transfer from the golden age to the silver. Gotcha. Age. I mean, like we we really think about when when we talk about it academically, we we always put it on that first issue of Fantastic 4, but Gardner Fox's contributions uh in Justice League are just as important hmm. to the, the transferring of tone and and taste and uh and art style so i um anyone who knows uh for me from the last podcast or any other podcast i've been on knows that my canon event for loving comics is that um i went to the library and because we, we didn't have enough money for new mm-hmm. comics so in the 90s i was reading black and white reprints of golden era and golden age and, and silver age mm-hmm. comics in these big chunky paperbacks and uh, so that, that's what really kicked off my love of the of comics in general. And one of the things I read was a collection of old of 
of old uh, uh, Justice League comics. And it wasn't this particular collection because the Justice League actually had their own uh, they had their own stories. I think it was World's Greatest Comics, but don't quote okay. me on that. But they had they had they had a couple of stories before they got their own comic. Mm-hmm. And so this omnibus collects that, but the one that I read as a kid did not. So um, so I actually uh, um, uh, uh, just I I it, okay. So quick spoilers for uh, the Suicide Squad. Okay. Okay. Uh, Starro ends up being the uh, the final um, enemy in that in that mm-hmm. uh, movie, and so Starro the Conqueror was um, just such a, a I was blown away by the the ingenuity of the character, and to find out that it was the original nineteen seventies uh, uh, or nineteen no it was nineteen well God how it was the nineteen fifties wasn't it uh, the original um, uh, villain for the uh, the Justice League. You know that he was the one that brought the Justice League together mm-hmm. in the first place. That was just blew me away, and so now I'm really excited to go back and reread these, knowing the historical context, knowing the 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 character of Starro, mm-hmm. and like because because you know Gardner Fox's contributions to to comics, I'm just learning about because you know it's not he's not really mentioned as often. So I'm really excited to now now that I know more about his contributions, go back and actually see it in action. Yeah, so I, I'm guessing. So you're saying this this is like a this is a, a major collection of like golden era and silver era comics, or is this like in that transitional phase? Moving the is the... in that transitional phase. Okay. So okay. um, so the Gardner Fox was on the the the, year, the book for years. Mm-hmm. So um, but the this is the collection that that starts with their very first stories being called the Justice League. Gotcha, gotcha. The idea was that. There were several characters that were really selling comics. There was Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. And then they had a bunch of other characters that were that were doing okay, but they felt could do better. So the idea was to create stories that had their big heroes teamed up with their smaller heroes right. to show off how their smaller heroes like Aquaman, the Martian Manhunter, how they could contribute to the team mm-hmm. and be their own standout characters. And it absolutely worked. I mean, they're now legendary characters that no one can do without in their DC interpretation. Right. So um, it was a great idea to team up their most popular and least popular heroes as a way to, you know, create fusion. And, and, and again, you know, uh, now that Marvel is this huge movie studio and so dominant in the box office, we now have this tendency to think of Secret Wars was the first crossover that um that stan lee like pioneered an integrated universe sure um when we really got to give it to like like the real first crossover was namor versus um uh the human torch versus the yeah. human torch and, and that was bill everett and you know there were they were pioneering the idea of doing these crossovers you know if if you if you we Secret Wars was a, the first crossover comic that we think of as a modern crossover comic, mm-hmm. but the idea of taking popular figures and unpopular figures, putting them together and making a story, I mean, just Justice League, Justice League did that first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, so you know, you, it, it's just it's really interesting. I'm I haven't read all the issues and I haven't seen them in color at all. Like, it's, I'm really happy that with the fact that we have digital comics now because we can have these beautiful color illustrations to things that right. physically have not you know been preserved that well in real life 
And we're seeing them with the art the way they were really imagined to be. It's like going back and cleaning up the audio of old music, you know, taking out the static and all the pops and the whistles and the hisses and cleaning it up to the way that they would have heard it at the time. You know, so it's uh, the yeah. restoration process. It's, it's art restoration, you know, and it's preservation. So, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. Yeah, well, I I had no idea that this was this was even a thing. I mean, I guess I knew the Justice League had to have come together at some point, but I didn't realize how monumental that idea was given the the time in history with comics. So um, that's really cool. Thank you for bringing that to my attention. I had no idea. Um, well, really quick, let me let me talk about a book that I'm excited about, and let me talk about some of the folks that are hanging out with us on Discord today um, and see what they have on the top of their pile. CK is reading Time Before Time Volume 1, as I've pressured everybody to read that book so thank you ck for falling uh to my to my pressuring of it uh he was reading immortal x-men number 17 simon is going to be reading that texas blood i'm very excited to hear what simon has to say about that because that texas blood rules danny is going to be reading batman off world number one and nick is going to be reading the same book as me because of course he is the friggin' copycat <laughs> uh the holy roller <laughs> number one <laughs> actually i do have to give credit to nick on this he was the person that brought this book to my attention so uh i just you know got a ribbon uh but yeah the holy roller number one is my pick as well this is written by rick remender john Thro troman and andy samberg art by roland Bashi. this is a wild book for an idea i can't believe that joe troman from fallout boy andy samberg of i'll say the lonely island i'm sure you know who andy samberg is and if you don't google him you've seen his goofy little face um and our good pal rick remender have all teamed up together to tell the tale of a bowler turned vigilante whose whole deal is to kick the ever-living shit out of neo-nazis and i can't support that enough um the synopsis for this book though reads as follows to care for his ailing father pro bowler levi cohen is forced to quit his dream job and turn return to his hometown where he which he soon discovers has been overrun by neo-nazis only with his bowling ball collection to defend himself levi becomes the holy roller a trick bowling ball wielding jewish superhero battling to liberate his home and bowl a perfect game against crime what a wild <laughs> concept for a book um i mean if you've seen mystery men this isn't an original idea however i'll accept it because who knows maybe we need to bring mystery men back or this book needs to exist but um i'm always for kicking the shit out of neo-nazis so i'm excited to see what this trio of writers puts together for this goofy little book from image comics um <laughs> I guess, Kate, uh, let's let's wrap things up with your pick. Uh, what's on the top of your pile this week? So this is one of the the books that I mentioned in the first half that I've had out from the library physically for like months now. Um, and I'm going to get around to reading it in the next few days. I I promise. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. My library. <laughs> I'll get it back. Your to local <laughs> your local library system. Who's listening? Yeah. Appreciates the fact that you're going to return a book. Yes. yes. Um, I do want to say that our library was just uh, voted on to get their funding for, I think, the next 15 years. So that's very exciting. And I need to treat them better than I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, OK, so I I am going to be reading Witchlight. This is by Jesse Zabarski. And I, I'll be honest with you. I picked this up because of the cover it's like i've seen multiple different covers for this and every single mm -hmm. one of them is like whimsical and colorful and just kind of delightful in, an, in a sort of unusual way i don't know how else to describe this it looks very cute okay um and so so i did uh check it out and then i read the description <laughs> um, and the description says that a peasant girl gets kidnapped by a witch 
but that must not be a bad thing because in the description it also says that they like help one another to be whole again um and it references it references like a physical journey that make them like bond together um they take together and like i love physical journeys in my story stories like i talked about kai in the first half that's a huge physical journey Mm -hmm. story Mm -hmm. so i i kind of lucked out with this uh pick it up for the cover (laughs) decision um and when i looked this up on goodreads it had a whole bunch of books that i that i have enjoyed under the readers also enjoyed section of the goodreads page so like Mm -hmm. so it's comparing it to like taproot by kesey young and the well by jake wyatt and i've talked about both of those on the show i think Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. just kind of like YA supernatural coming of age stories. Um, so this, this sounds, this book sounds like it's right up my alley. So I'm pretty excited yeah. to, to actually sit down and read it. <laughs> yeah. This, this sounds like a book for the Kates, both you yeah. and Kate Scotchless. <laughs> I feel like this is a natural fit, especially this time of year, which is looking at the art. This, this looks like it's also my kind of book too. So yeah. like, I think I'm also going to have to check this out. This looks beautiful. Yeah. Um, you also t- seem to like the fantasies, so. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, yeah, that's I'm I'm very excited. Of course, I'm surprised that we got through most of November without someone bringing up some sort of witchy book. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like maybe they did. Maybe around October. I don't know. My memory is not what it was. But um, no, that sounds really, really exciting. Um, I guess before we wrap today up, um, Bijan, do you want to tell us what's going on? What, what you've been up to? I know you mentioned a little bit at the top of the show, but um, you, you've you been working on, you worked on a comic and you're working on a board game. I guess like, what, what the <laughs> heck are you guys doing over there at Jam Sheet Studios? It sounds like it's everything. Yeah. So one of the great things about our studio is the fact that it's 100% uh, Patreon funded. Okay. And means that we can make creator owned media. So mm-hmm. we're trying to solve a lot of the problems with studio owned media. And it gives us a huge amount of creativity and liberty, and we basically can authorize projects that studios never would because their goal isn't to just make a bunch of money. Their goal is to make meaningful art. Gotcha. So uh, so we're able to take risks on stuff that, that may not be the most popular, but that will be really meaningful to the people that get it. And so that's why we made Cobra Olympus, uh, Time Wars, mm-hmm. The Adventures of Cobra Olympus, the first issue, Battle of the Blood Golem. We did a Kickstarter for that, and it was totally successful. All the issues have gone out. And uh, I think, Mike, you uh, you actually got your copy. I did. Yeah, it's a really beautiful yeah. little book. Yeah, thank you. And uh, and now we have a deluxe edition available on Amazon. Uh, you can look it up by Googling um, Battle of the Blood Golem. And mm-hmm. so in so if you get Battle of the Blood Golem on Amazon, it's um, uh, the deluxe edition. It's thicker paper. It's uh, it's not a floppy. Right. So we got the the beautiful first edition floppies for the Kickstarter. And they had a gold border around the cor- the 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 cover that uh, is not going to be available on anything else. It'll never be available on any other Cobra Olympus merchandise except for other first wow. editions. Um, okay. So. The, the deluxe edition has a full art cover. Um, it's got uh, uh, little extras in the back. It's got um, um, uh, concept art. So you'll be able to see the concept art that we drew for the, the first edition. And um, so th- that one's a heavy paperback. And uh, that's on Amazon.com right now, Battle of the Blood Golem. Uh, and now we're doing a, uh, a Kickstarter for a board game set in the same universe. So in the same universe of uh, time travelers dueling with vampires, we're now going to have a uh, starship simulator. So it's simulating starship combat. One player will take on the role of the humans. One player will take on the role of the vampires. And you you maneuver ships around planets. And uh, you also have uh, access to demigod-like beings who are equipped with all kinds of technology. 
And okay. so there's this this chess like strategy element of moving from planet to planet, trying to conquer them so that you can win mm-hmm. the game. But then there's also this poker like element of using cards to try and bluff your opponent or outright win combat using different icons. And so the icons simulate different things like using ship to ship weapons, using drones for closer combat and even boarding the other players ships and taking them for a prize. So that's interesting. So that's Time Wars Stellar Assault. And we're going to be going uh, live with that on December 1st. We'll be having our Kickstarter for that. Cool. Um, And the artwork is going to be provided by the same person who is working on our new manga project. I can't say too much about it, but we have an Asian (laughs) artist uh, who is going to be working on an original concept with uh, it's going to be a detective mystery that takes place in the deep future. Um, But we're working on the concept now uh, with a group of authors and uh, it's going to be a classic manga. It's going to be just black and white and it's going to be drawn Mm -hmm. in the uh, in uh, very um, well. I don't again, I don't want to give away too much, but we're going to be drawing from some very classic uh, sources, um, not not uh, limited to, but including Cowboy Bebop and um, dot hacks was it hack slot hack sign hack slash ha- yeah i'm i'm uh, i'm not the expert on manga the other people are i'm it, just helping with the yeah editing. Uh, <laughs> there's a couple of, i think hack slash is a, is a series i think that got published in the united states and dot hack i think is another dot is a hack manga sign series. that's one dot hack dot sign, hack sign. Yeah, that's, that's what it one. is yeah yeah that's the one i was shown the the pages and i was like yeah that's gonna work that's going to be awesome. Cool. Awesome. So, yeah, we're putting together a, a guide for that right now. So, uh, so yeah, and all of this is funded by patrons at um, patreon.com slash Jamsheed Studios. Um, and with that, uh, you get a really cool behind the scenes. Uh, right now, people at on our Patreon are seeing the first pages of Cobra Olympus issue number two, Robot Rumble. And so there's a boxing match that uh, are, that only our patrons can see in our monthly up, uh, up, uh, newsletter updates. Um, nice. And our final project that we're working on is something that, again, we is totally impossible without the use of Patreon. Uh, it mm-hmm. is a fan project where we are making a ROM hack of Pokemon Emerald and turning it into a Digimon game. <laughs> oh, my God. What? <laughs> We are changing the way that the evolution works. We are changing the way sure. the moves work. We are changing all of the types. We are creating an original story with a morality system and multiple different endings. You will be able to talk to your Digimon. They will be able to talk back to you. And the choices no you way. make will affect the outcome of the game. Wow. Um, and so we have all of our sprites that we're working on uh, available on the, the, um, the Patreon. We have uh, the story laid out in a uh, design document. So um, and uh, people who are uh, members of our Patreon can even get their original characters entered into the game. Just talk to me about it. So. Wow. That's awesome, dude. I, <laughs> I, <laughs> a ROM hack of Pokemon to make it like digit that's 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 <laughs> crazy that's that's amazing i love it so much <laughs> um well cool we'll make sure to put all the links to that stuff in the in the show notes um so folks can check everything out that's i it's wild i feel like when we last talked um you were like we're just working on a comic might be working on a game who knows what's happening it sounds like it's been a very exciting couple of months since we last spoke so that's this is incredible to hear yeah absolutely it's been a huge it's been huge these last couple of weeks uh, just because of the uh, the amount of support we got from the Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. So in a very short amount of time, we've been able to greenlight new projects using those funds. Amazing. That's amazing. Um, well, okay. I don't know. Any, any last questions? Any last thoughts before we wrap up here? 
Um, Bijan, you come up with fantastic uh, follow-up questions <laughs> when we talk about comic <laughs> books much better than I do. <laughs> yes, thank you so much My for coming pleasure. back to the show, Bijan. We really appreciate it. Um, and yeah, as I said, uh, we'll have all the links to everything in the show notes, so make sure you all click on those and check them out. Um, sounds like a lot of really cool projects coming to the near future uh, on Patreon, on Kickstarter, everywhere. Um, so I'm really excited to see where this all this stuff goes. Um, I guess to wrap things up for us, um, next week, uh, I'm going to be chatting with Alex from the Opinions Made Very podcast about Alex's new audio drama series called The Starwell Foundation. And those of you on our Discord probably already saw this, but in two weeks, Paul and I are going to be talking with the one and only Ed Brubaker uh, on the show, live on Discord as usual as we do things. Um, we're going to be talking about Ed's new book, Where the Body Was, plus comic books. We're going to go through whatever Ed's reading recently, which is going to be very exciting. So very, very hyped to do all that stuff. Really excited to have a week off next week for the holiday. Um, but yeah, I guess for now, Infinity Shred is the best band in the universe. They do all of our music. Xander lives in the forest, sipping tea from his tiny toadstool home. I want to say thank you to Jen for coming back to Irie Comic Books to chat with us. Thank you to Kate for the episode, being on the episode today. Thank you to Nick for proof listening. Thank you to everyone who's listening live on Discord. And if you got this far on the episode, thank you. You are a fantastic human being. Until next time, though, comics are good, and so are you. Comics.